invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, we will start in verse 24. Remember we did the first 23 verses last week. And um, now we kind of get into uh, the, the, the scene where Daniel and uh, Nebuchadnezzar have their conversation where Daniel gives Nebuch- uh, Nebuchadnezzar the translation. Um, and as I was reading this, I couldn't help but remember, and, and you, know, you guys probably are familiar with this, the famous novel, Gone with the Wind, published in 1935, made into a movie in 1939. Um, it looked back on this um, beautiful but doomed culture of antebellum South, and uh, it kind of spans the, the bridge of gap between what the South was, the Civil War, the, the Reconstruction period, and, and thinking about what that was, you know, and, you know, stark scenes of things like Atlanta burning and things like that as Sherman's March to the Sea. Now, if that book had been written or had been available uh, during the time of the exile, I believe that the Jews that were alive then and had saw Jerusalem burn and had saw all of that happen, they would have related to that book. They would have related to the the themes of everything that we used to know is now gone and we've got to find a new way of life, we've got to live a new way. I think they would have related to that and what I find to be interesting is that in the book the characters, they were known for saying that tomorrow is another day. Tomorrow is another day. Now here's the thing that matters. Here's the thing that, that, that I think hopefully we can take from a passage like this is that no matter what the world is like, and, and especially no matter who is in charge of this world, tomorrow is another day, and that day will also belong to the Lord. So this day, whatever you see here, whatever we are looking at around us, it belongs to God. And tomorrow, whatever happens tomorrow, it belongs to God, and it is God's day as well. Now, I've heard a lot of people Uh, talk about their fears and their concerns and their anxieties and everything about what's going on. And my message to you is that tomorrow is another day. This day belongs to the Lord and tomorrow belongs to the Lord as well. And I think that that is an encouragement for us because... We could, get in, we could get trapped in fear pretty quickly. We could be concerned what's going to happen and what, what, what's going to be done. And, and, and we watch and we think that we see evil personified being played out. But the reality is God is still in control. And this is his world. Okay, so the sermon in the sentence is this. Kingdoms rise and fall with the Lord's permission. But there is coming a day when his kingdom will destroy all other kingdoms. I realize that's strong language, but, but listen to what I'm about to read you, and, and I think you'll see that, that that strong language is warranted. So we're going to read Daniel chapter 2, verse 24 through verse 49. Again, Daniel has just finished praying and praising the Lord and thanking Him for His provision and everything that He has done. Um, God not only just gave Daniel the interpretation to the king's dream, but He actually told Daniel what the king's dream was, which was the demand that the king was putting on all of his wise men. So this is quite a miracle in terms of, uh, of dream interpreters anyway. And so now Daniel responds. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, 
I have found among the exiles of Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to, to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, remember that was the Babylonian name given to him, Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you have looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the shaft of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and in whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule them all, you are the head of gold." Another kingdom, inferior to you, shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw, the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. Just as you saw, that stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. 
The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Okay, so there's definitely a lot here, but it is one story, it is one idea. And so we're going to start by just kind of looking at um, Daniel and Arioch and see their different uh, attitudes and, and words before the king. Before we get into the dream and the interpretation and all of that, let's look at these two men and see how they approach. So we know that Daniel prayed and that God gave him, not just Daniel, but also his friends prayed and God gave him the dream, gave him the interpretation. Daniel praised the Lord for these things and then he sought out um, Arioch to go before the king so that he could reveal the dream and the interpretation. Now, Arioch, when he goes before the king um, and, and stands before the king, we see the difference between humility and self-promotion because Arioch claims to have found among the exiles one who can tell the king his dream and the interpretation of it. Now, we know that Arioch didn't have anything to do with this because Daniel went and sought him out um, and, and that Arioch was just lucky enough to be the guy that, that was talking to Daniel um, but he wants to rush in and take credit for this incredibly good news because he thinks that he's, he's done something good. Now, when Daniel addresses the king, he deflects all of this. So the king says, are you the one that can tell me, you know, both my dream and the interpretation? Daniel could have just said yes and then went on with the interpretation, but he didn't. And he didn't so that he could... He could be humble. And, and this, this really brings up a point that, that I want to share. Um, and that is, if you're going to live in a world like Daniel lived in, where most people don't share your beliefs, most people don't respect your God, and most people, they're going to look down on you for believing in one God or the God that we believe in, which I think is, is, is a lot like our world really is today. The last thing you want to do is appear to be arrogant. The last thing you do is, want, is to want to put people off and, and, and to show people, well, you know, I think I'm better than you. Daniel did not do that. Daniel was very clear about where the power came from, the interpretation, the wisdom, and he was very clear that, that the other wise men and magicians and enchanters, they weren't at fault. Nobody could do what the king asked. He made that very clear that nobody could but there is a God who can. That was where Daniel left it. So he didn't take any of the praise or the glory. He said, I, don't, I didn't get this because I'm wiser than anybody else. But ultimately, God wanted to speak to you, Nebuchadnezzar. God wanted to reveal this information to you, to the king, so that you'd know what was going on in your own head. Now, the more we study and read about Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to know there were a lot of things going on in that man's head. And, and, and God had his hands full to reveal to him what all was happening in there. But in this case, this dream was something that Daniel could explain for him. And so Daniel is very quick to, to deflect all of that praise and all of that glory and all that honor just to be a humble man. 
So that's the point. That is, that is what Daniel is doing. Now, if we ourselves are willing to put ourselves last and merely reflect the glory of God, then that's when we can be truly humble. If we look at biblical examples throughout, what we see is that there have been many examples of people who were very humble and then God exalted them. Um, you know, the thing is, you look at Moses. Moses said, I can't speak. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not one to, to go and to be in the public atmosphere and, and show, you know, how great I am. You look at David, and obviously he was a king and he was exalted, but look at his life before he was made king and the humility that he exercised because he had plenty of opportunities to exalt himself and he didn't do that. And instead, you know, he said, no, Saul's the king. And even he had opportunities to kill Saul after Saul was hunting him and he still didn't do it. You, you look at that, that's, that's humility. And then obviously the supreme example of humility, Jesus Christ himself, when he could have done anything, he could have been anything. And imagine coming to this earth. You know, we've got this saying that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, and Jesus, if there's ever been anybody that walked the face of the earth that truly had absolute power, Jesus would be that. But yet he was completely unfazed by that power and completely uncorrupted by that power. He remained humble and he remained true to the mission that God had given him. And that's a, that's a very clear point that, that when we look at it, we must know that ultimately... Humility is the way for us. Humility is a way that we can win people to God. We can show people who God is by reflecting Him rather than self-promotion. Self-promotion is never going to get us anywhere. But pointing to Jesus, that will get us somewhere. So if we are faithfully following the Lord and studying His Word, we will not be surprised by this world, but we must remember to give the Lord glory for our knowledge and skillful living. It's tough, and none of us really want to believe what we see on the page. But if we read Scripture, not only are we not surprised by what's going on now, we're aware that it is going to get more extreme. It's not going to stay like it is, where people are trying to behave while at the same time do whatever they want. There's going to come a day when there's no restraint. Evil abounds beyond measure. Everything that is bad is celebrated and everything that is good is rejected. That God himself, that they make him into a mockery and a joke and absolutely no one wants to hear from the word of God anymore. We know that we're going there. We won't be surprised by that. And so we've got to live a humble life. We've got to be committed to studying scripture, committed to staying connected to God. And then when we do get... You know, somebody says, well, how did, how did you live through all this? How did you navigate all this? Well, it is God. It is not us. If we act in wisdom, it is God's wisdom, not our wisdom. So, now to the main event. Let's get to this dream. Now, the dream itself is not that long. The dream was more of, a, of an image or, or a vision that Nebuchadnezzar had. So you could almost see it yourself. He sees this, this, this image or this statue... And then he sees it destroyed. And, and so his dream is not a very long dream or anything like that, but it's, it's definitely something you know, that, that, that only God could have done to reveal that dream to Daniel. So he moves on to reveal the dream. Um, and uh, the, when he does this, it is smart and it's sensitive to Nebuchadnezzar because Daniel did give an answer that was longer than yes or no. And if you can imagine Nebuchadnezzar at this point, well, he's a king, so, you know, maybe impatient. 
um, but also he's just anxious to know the, the truth of his dream. And in the Babylonian court, there were certain things that you had to say in certain ways that you had to speak to the king, O king, live forever, king of kings, those kinds of things. And, and the reason they want to be called king of kings is because a lot of times they would leave kings alive that they, of conquered nations and bring them either into their court or keep them in their dungeons or whatever. There, were, there, there was a, a king of Israel sitting in the, in the jailhouse at, at that particular time. So, so we know those things. And so he's okay with a little bit of decorum, but get to the point. Tell me what you're here to tell me. That's what I want to know. And so Daniel does that. So he is willing to go ahead and, and, and give the dream. So very simply, in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw a statue. And the head was made of gold. Uh, the arms and the chest was made of silver. The, the, basically the middle and the thighs, they were, they were made of bronze. And then the legs were made of iron, with the feet being made of a mixture of iron and clay. And so that's what, that's what Nebuchadnezzar saw. And, and Daniel even could capture some of the, the emotion or the feeling that, that Nebuchadnezzar had because he said, you know, it was striking, it was bright, it was, it was terrifying, it was all of these things, you saw all of these things. And then he says that you saw a stone not cut by the hand of man out of a mountain. And then it goes and it actually crushes the feet of the statue and then the whole thing comes crumbling down and it's all swept away. And then that stone turns into a great mountain that, that, that rules the whole world and it never ends. And so... That's basically um, the dream. And Daniel explains this as a way that, that or, or he begins to explain it as far as the interpretation goes. He begins to explain that this, this dream or this statue represents the different nations or kingdoms of the earth. Okay, And so Nebuchadnezzar, being king of kings and, and all, of, all of that jazz... He's definitely going to have an ego, right? He's going to be the kind of guy that, 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 that wants to be on top. And I think that God allows him to view himself that way um, so, so that he's willing to hear the rest of the story, so that he's willing to hear the rest of the interpretation. So this golden head, that's, that's, that's Nebuchadnezzar. So he's the highest kingdom. He is the, the highest king. He is that king of kings. And so Daniel begins to explain, you're that king. There are going to be lesser kingdoms that come after you. This is, this is both what God told Daniel to say and pretty smart if you want to walk out of that room alive. So, so this was pretty good. So, so you're that king. You're that golden head. And then as we walk down this statue, Daniel says that there are going to be other kingdoms, lesser kingdoms, but they are going to rise after you. Now, what we see is that we know that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to rule the whole world and that every kingdom after him for a very long time wanted to rule the whole world. That has been their desire. That has been their goal. They would fight. They would kill. They would conquer. They would desire dominion over the whole earth, but ultimately they'd be frustrated. And the reason is is because there was always another kingdom on the rise. So that kind of helps you see that. Now, gold and silver, those are both precious metals, but they're soft. And bronze and iron, those were the weapons of war during that time. And so they were going to be the ones that were more brutally effective. So bronze and silver, maybe you're looking at, you know, arts and crafts and culture and things like that. And then bronze and iron is more brute force. Um, iron and clay just simply don't mix. So they would represent a kingdom that was doomed to fail from the very beginning. So those are the pictures that you're getting there. Now... What happens is Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that there is a great God, a God above all other gods that cuts this rock out. You saw the rock cut out, 
You didn't see a human hand. This is God, he says. And this, this God crushes these other kingdoms and establishes his own kingdom. And he has decided to make this known to Nebuchadnezzar of what things would come after his own time. So Daniel tells him the dream, gives him God's interpretation of the dream, and that's pretty much it. Okay, so then Nebuchadnezzar falls down on his face. He begins to worship Daniel. He says, we need to have an offering for Daniel. We need to burn incense for Daniel. Now, I mean, notice that this is for Daniel, and then he wants to recognize God as the most high God. Now, this is where a lot of people would have said, hey, Daniel should have put a stop to that immediately. Don't worship me. Don't burn incense for me. Don't, don't make an offering to me. A lot of people would have pointed that out and said, hey, Daniel, you, sh you shouldn't let Nebuchadnezzar do that. Well, I need to remind you that this guy went by the title of King of Kings. Um, he had the power of life and death. Everything that, 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 that he wanted, he got. Everything that he didn't want went away or died or whatever. One does not simply walk into the courtroom of the, the King of Kings and say, hey, don't do something or don't do this. Daniel wouldn't have pulled Nebuchadnezzar up by his clothes and said, hey, don't worship me at this time. We know that Daniel wouldn't have approved of this and he wouldn't have appreciated it. And it's certainly, he, everything that he said was God did this and God revealed this and God was going to do this. And so certainly Daniel wasn't looking for that kind of praise, but he also didn't shut it down. And, and some people would say, well, why didn't Daniel shut it down? Because that would have been a great way to show the difference between, you know, you know God's people and, and the rest of the world. We don't worship people. We don't worship things. We don't worship idols. We only worship God. Well, in this sense... Daniel's purpose was to show Nebuchadnezzar who God is. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have it all figured out at one time. Wouldn't get it all figured out for quite some time. He would have seen the pagan nature of what Nebuchadnezzar was doing, but the most important thing was that he could tell Nebuchadnezzar, this great thing that happened before you, this great thing that you now know, this is because of God. Okay, So, the king recognizes Daniel's God above all other gods. And as he comments on Daniel, he's also commenting on God and worshiping God. Um, he also decides to put Daniel at a very extremely high place of authority. So all that Nebuchadnezzar was going to rule, Daniel was also going to rule. And Daniel was also going to be like the, the guild leader or whatever of the all the wise men, all the enchanters, all the magicians, all those people that couldn't do what Daniel just did, he was to be the leader of all those people and all those things. Now, Daniel does manage to deflect some of that by getting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be, to be put in those positions of authority so that, that he can be more or less over them or supervising them, but he doesn't have to do all of that ruling all by himself. But what we see here is that Daniel was simply faithful to God. He was humble he told Nebuchadnezzar the words of God, and in that moment, Nebuchadnezzar received those words. We contrast that to the ministry of a guy like Jeremiah, who also said the words of God, and nobody received it. There are times when people are going to receive the message of God, and there are times when people are going to reject the message of God. And with Jeremiah, when he was pointing out their sins, and if you don't change, you're going to have this judgment, for Nebuchadnezzar, it was an introduction it was an introduction to God. And so that's why the message was different. The people of Judah were supposed to know who God was. Nebuchadnezzar didn't. And so Daniel was telling them, 
or telling Nebuchadnezzar, this is a great God. This is a God like nothing you've ever heard of before, nothing you've ever seen, and here is just one demonstration of his might and power. And so Daniel was introducing a new world to Nebuchadnezzar, a whole new concept. And so because of that, he presented it in a lovely way. He presented it in a way that would be receptive and attractive. He presented it in a way that he could, he could hear it, see it, and enjoy it and, and take part of it. He didn't compromise anything, but he did declare the word of God in a way that Nebuchadnezzar would receive it. And, and we have to look at that compared to Jeremiah, who was speaking to people that ought to know, and he was challenging them. And he, and he was putting their sin before them and telling them, if you don't change, then God's going to judge you. And so this is the difference between the way that the message ought to be to the church and the way that the message ought to be to the world. To the church, we hold accountable. To the church, we call sin what it is. To the church, we speak about the truth that God has revealed to us. To the world, we introduce them to God. We tell them the beauty of the gospel. We help them understand so that they can meet God. And as they are drawn into God and become part of the church, then we tell them what the Word says about the rest of it, about their sin, about the things that they have to change and the things that they have to do. You see, Daniel at this time didn't condemn Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was prideful. Nebuchadnezzar was worshiping a man. Nebuchadnezzar was, you know, setting up a test and he was going to kill everybody because they couldn't play by his rules. But Daniel doesn't condemn him in that moment. He tells him about God. And then he allows God to work in Nebuchadnezzar. And so that's an interesting study in the difference of, of the way that Daniel was. So Daniel was a great man of faith in the Lord, but he was also humble when God gave him success. So faith in our Lord and humility in our lives will be key for us to introduce our God to the pagan world around us. And I absolutely believe we live in a pagan world at this point. I believe we live in a pagan world because one, our God is not considered the only God. There are other gods. There are other people worshiping other things. Two, the God that many people who claim to be Christians are worshiping is not our God. And so they also are pagans, idolaters. I believe that we're going to have to introduce God all over again to America because what they have heard and what they have seen and what, and what they've witnessed is not what God wants. God wants himself to be heralded by true followers of Jesus Christ. Remember the stories of the gospel where Jesus would not allow people to say he's the Christ, he's the Messiah? Like, for example, someone that had just been cured by leprosy, he didn't necessarily want that to be said, or someone that just had a demon cast out, he didn't want that to be said, or the demons themselves, he didn't, he didn't want the demons to say that. But then all of a sudden he tells his disciples, go everywhere, you know, teaching them all that I've commanded you. So what was the difference? What was the change? It was the herald. Jesus didn't want just anybody introducing him to the world. He wanted his messengers. And I think we have to go back to being his messengers. Not builders of massive ministries. Not, not the things that it has become. We have to go back to being humble, faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Person by person, introducing them to the God that we worship. So let's look at some deeper reflections here. After reading this passage, people usually want to talk about who the kingdoms are. They, they, they want to break it down and say, okay, so we know gold. The teacher gave us gold. That's Nebuchadnezzar. So what's B, C, and D? What, what's the rest of them? Okay, so, so who's silver? 
Well, historically, we know that the Medes came next, but it's kind of confusing even in history because Medes and Persians kind of merged together. So is it Babylonians, Medes, Persians, Greeks, Romans? If you, if you do it like that, it kind of makes sense. But what if you do Babylonians, Medes, Persians, Greeks, Romans, and then what's that fractured, weird, messed up thing? Is that the Holy Roman Empire? What is that? Here's the problem with all that. We must recognize that Daniel gave both the dream and the interpretation in Scripture. He gave God's interpretation of that dream. I can't tell you how many things I've seen, even in the last couple of weeks as I've, I've read and looked and thought about it. All the different people trying to interpret this statue. All the different ways that they've tried to interpret it. They've tried to put together timelines. I've seen drawings and charts. I've seen, you know, handbooks to doomsday. I've seen everything that you can imagine explaining exactly who all these different people are and all the different images in the statue. They're trying to make the Bible answer a question that it's not trying to answer. The Bible is not trying to tell you step by step everything that's going to happen until God comes back. That's not what it's trying to do. Daniel gave the interpretation, and we've got to keep it on the interpretation. What did he say? He said that there are going to be kingdoms that rise, there are going to be kingdoms that fall. There's always going to be another kingdom waiting in the wings to rise up, but at the end of the day, Jesus Christ, the rock, our Redeemer, is going to crush them all and wipe them away. That's what's going to happen. Daniel gave us that interpretation. We don't, we don't need to know who these other kingdoms are. You could look at history and you could make a thousand arguments. Because what's interesting is if you, if you look at like a, like a regular history book, you'll see kingdoms. But if you really dig, you'll find out that, that in those kingdoms there were all these little sub-kingdoms and there were all these little revolutions and there were all these little changes and things. And so nothing is even as cohesive as they told you in school. It's all different. It's all really convoluted and confusing. So even if you said this, well, it may not even be that. The reality is it doesn't matter. And Daniel made sure that it didn't matter because he didn't tell Nebuchadnezzar even who the silver would be. Certainly not the bronze or the iron or any of those. Other. He, didn't, he didn't tell them. Because that's not the point. The point is that all these kingdoms are going to rise, all these kingdoms are going to fall, and God is in control of it all. That is the point. Every nation, every kingdom, no matter how great they are, they will rise and they will eventually fall. I wish I could remember the scholar's name. I read something very recently that was totally unrelated, and, and he was pointing out that, that every nation rises and then ultimately falls. And I thought, that goes with Daniel. That goes with his dream because that's the reality. There's never been a nation that's really exempt from this, this concept. Now, nations don't always completely disappear. You take, for example, we think about the, the Romans and, and the way that they, that they went, how they wanted to conquer the whole world. That was their desire. That was Julius Caesar's desire was literally to conquer the whole world when there was really nothing left that, that he was able to conquer. He started rerouting rivers so that he had more land. It was just, that was just that ego of, I want it all. I want to control everything. And history looks on him as a favorable type person. You fast forward that 2,000 years, you, you look at Napoleon. Napoleon had his grand army and he wanted to conquer all of Europe. Well, he was a problem. 
He was a terrifying problem for a lot of people, and they had to get rid of him. You go another hundred years, and you get Hitler. And Hitler wanted to conquer all of Europe, and he was definitely a problem, and people looked at that very differently. But let me tell you, there have always been, and there are right now in this world, people that want to conquer everything. They are. And, and somebody's going to eventually succeed in conquering a lot of it. That's the reality that we have to know, that God said there's always a kingdom on the rise. For whatever kingdom is on the way down, there is a kingdom on the rise that's going to take it over. It's not going to be as eloquent, it's not going to be as pretty, but it is going to want to desire to control the whole world. It will always be frustrated, it won't make it, but that's what it wants to do. Even that's not really the point. The point is, God's in control. God orders the rise and the fall of these kingdoms, God oversees their destruction, and ultimately He is their destruction. Because every one of these kingdoms seeks to be something that God Himself alone holds. Ruler of the world. Nobody else is ruler of the world. Nobody else owns the world. God does. And that's the point. That's the thing that we have to realize. When Judah collapsed, Daniel trusted God. He lived a humble life in a strange land in which he was brought. That's what our life has to be. Are we on the upswing of the nation of America or the downswing? There's people that's going to tell you both. That, that's a debate that's going to go on. But what I do know is that when that kingdom of God comes along, I will not be standing against it. I will be standing for it. And we all have to be there. And what that means is we've got to be faithful to God. And we've got to realize that our citizenship is not in this nation. Our citizenship is with the Lord. If we're to navigate the ever-changing powers of this world, we are going to have to live, uh, to have, we're going to have to abandon all hope in man and seek our fulfillment in Jesus Christ. There is not a single person on this earth that you can hope in. Now, can you trust the people in this room? Surely we can trust each other. But don't place your hope in anyone in this room. Our hope is in the Lord. There is, we can't place our hope in each other. We're just not going to be able to do everything for everybody. But our hope is in the Lord, and our hope is in Jesus Christ. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ himself will shatter and clear away all other kingdoms and establish his everlasting kingdom. Notice what Daniel says. It's not going to be left to someone else. This kingdom will last forever. The way of kingdoms on earth is the king rules, the king dies, he leaves it to someone else. And that's usually when problems start. But in this kingdom, there's no change in leadership. There never will be. And this is our joy. This is our hope. And this is what we must hang on to. And this is why tomorrow is another day. Because it doesn't matter what state America is in, it doesn't matter what state China is in, or Russia, or any of these other countries. None of that matters. Ultimately, kingdoms rise and fall, but God is in control. God is the ruler. We trust Him. We look to Him for our hope, for our strength, for our encouragement. We live a humble life in this world. And, and really, our job is not even to predict the fall of the nations. Our job is just to do what Daniel was doing and introduce people to God. You see, Daniel was saying, there is a God. There is a God. And that was the message that Nebuchadnezzar needed to hear. And Nebuchadnezzar, ultimately, he did actually recognize that message. Even in that moment, Nebuchadnezzar didn't say, well, who's the silver? When's the silver coming? What preparations do I need to make to, to, to keep the silver from rising? He didn't even ask those questions. He just said, wow, there is a God. That's what our job is. Help people know that there is a God and that he is in control. 
and that it's not about what kingdom he is or what kingdom's not or who's in power or who's not in power. It is about him because he is in power always. There is another day. No matter what you think about this day, there is another day and God is in control of that day as well. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather together for a few minutes. And I just thank you for the encouragement, the reminder. And Lord, we, we, we need this reminder. You are in control. When we look at the bad news that we see, when we, when we see the, the way that, that man strives to rule other men, when we see the, the lies that are constantly spewed about everything, it's very, very easy for us to be disappointed, to be sad. It's very easy for us not to trust. But remind us always that you are in control. There's not a single headline that surprises you there's not a single event that you're not prepared for. As we look at Nebuchadnezzar's response, a man that may have never actually heard of you firsthand from someone that worshipped you before, he was amazed. God, you are amazing. And I believe that people that encounter you, no matter their religious background, no matter what else is going on in their lives, I believe if they really encounter you, they're going to be amazed as well. Let us be the ones that introduce them to you. Let our lives reflect your glory. Let people see and know you through our lives. Use us to declare you to this lost nation. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.